Welcome to Hakol Radio's Top 3 segment, where we discuss the top three news stories of the day. Hakol Radio, powered by the Muncie Mavasser and broadcasting live from Schlerko Studios in Muncie, New York. Number 1 Former Israeli Prime Minister and current opposition leader Yair Lapid released a statement that he would give the government, quote, a safety net for any deal that would bring hostages held in Gaza back home to Israel. A source in Lapid's Yeshatid party later told Ynet that the former Israeli Prime Minister would be willing to join the wartime unity government for a short period of time. Combined Israeli special forces killed three wanted terrorists in the West Bank city of Jenin, the Israel Defense Forces confirmed in a joint statement. The counterterrorism operation was led by intelligence from the Shin Bet Internal Security Agency, along with the IDF and the Amam Special Forces of the Israel Border Police. CCTV footage reportedly from the operation showed the Israeli security forces disguised as doctors and nurses with silencers equipped on their guns. The three wanted men had been hiding in the Ibn Sina Hospital, which according to the IDF has seen increased activity of terrorists using the civilian infrastructure as protection while planning attacks. On Monday evening, January 29th, Hamas seemingly rejected a newly proposed framework for a hostage deal previously agreed upon by Israel. The group asserted its refusal to accept any agreement that did not encompass the cessation of the ongoing conflict and the complete withdrawal of Israeli troops from Gaza. This stance was articulated in a joint statement with the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, another smaller terror group, emphasizing the demand for Israel to, quote, seize its aggression and evacuate Gaza before any hostage exchange discussions could proceed. A senior Hamas official further specified the group's insistence on a, quote, complete and comprehensive ceasefire in Gaza. Qatari Prime Minister Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdul Rahman Al Thani noted on Monday that officials from the U.S., Qatar, Egypt, and Israel had made, quote, progress in weekend talks aimed at securing the release of hostages held by Hamas in Gaza. While acknowledging remaining gaps, these officials agreed to a framework for negotiations based on a three-phase deal. The proposed first phase involves a six-week ceasefire and the release of a predetermined number of Palestinian prisoners. In return, Hamas would release 35 to 40 Israeli hostages, including women, men, men over 60, and those with serious medical conditions. Terms for the subsequent two phases are yet to be finalized, but the second phase is anticipated to encompass the release of Israeli soldiers and civilian men under 60 from captivity in Gaza. This is coming according to a senior Israeli official. The third phase would involve the return of bodies held by Hamas. Israeli soldiers uncovered an underground tunnel beneath the Bani Suheila Cemetery in Khan Yunis, as reported by the Israel Defense Forces on Monday, January 29th. The troops part of the IDF's 98th Division found the tunnel directly below the cemetery, which, had been, had been accused, which they had been accused of desecration in recent weeks. During the investigation of the tunnel, the soldiers discovered explosives, sliding doors, blast-proof doors, and eliminated terrorists who were inside. According to the IDF statement, the tunnel, extending one kilometer in length and situated 20 meters below the cemetery, was part of a larger underground network. The forces located various facilities within the tunnel, including an office used by a Kanyunis Brigade Battalion commander to manage an attack on October 7th, an operations room, a command and control center, and living quarters for senior officials of the Hamas terrorist organization. The tunnel served as a command center for directing attacks against IDF forces both above and below ground. 
IDF combat engineers destroyed the tunnel as part of the IDF's efforts to counter underground threats. Number two. An initial investigation into the drone attack that killed three U.S. troops in Jordan and injured another 40 revealed that the attempt to thwart the deadly attack failed when an enemy drone targeted the outpost just as a U.S. drone was returning to base. U.S. officials said on Monday, January 29th, that this was an isolated and unfortunate incident. The simultaneous presence of both drones led to confusion about the incoming drone's identity. The enemy drone launched from Iraq by a militia supported by Tehran struck the living quarters of the outpost known as Tower 22, located near the borders of Iraq and Syria. As of now, the investigation is in its early stages and officials have not found evidence directly linking Iran to the attack. However, the U.S. asserts that Tehran provides weapons, training, and funding to groups that target U.S. troops. White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby emphasized the need to hold Tehran's leaders accountable. The attack, which occurred on Sunday, January 28th, marked an escalation in hostilities against U.S. forces, adding to incidents in Iraq, Syria, the Red Sea, and now Jordan since the October 7th Hamas assault on Israel and the subsequent conflict in Gaza. The Biden administration expressed its desire to respond forcefully to deter further attacks on U.S. forces without becoming embroiled in another Middle East war. While President Biden met with his national security team to discuss the situation, the options for the U.S., including targeting Iran's paramilitary Quds Force personnel in Syria, Iraq, and Yemen, attacking Iranian ships at sea, or conducting a major strike against the Iranian-backed militia responsible for the attack. A strike within Iran itself is considered less likely. The potential response could involve a multi-day campaign of airstrikes against military and command and control centers in the region, according to a U.S. military official. Despite the desire to avoid further escalation, the U.S. emphasizes its commitment to protecting itself and responding appropriately to such attacks. The incident underscores the complex challenges the Biden administration faces in navigating tensions in the region. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre triggered outrage on Monday, January 29th, after saying three U.S. troops killed by a weekend drone strike in Jordan had died, quote, fighting on behalf of the administration rather than America. John Pierre's statement was barely coherent as she referred to the soldiers as, quote, folks on MSNBC's Morning Joe show. Number three. Despite city officials claiming that there is no cause for alarm at the, and that the city is, quote, completely safe, in 2023, the NYPD recorded the highest number of assaults in the New York City subway since at least 1996. This is according to data released by the department. There were 570 recorded assaults in trains and stations throughout the year, averaging about 1.5 per day. This figure represents a slight increase of less than 3% from the 556 subway assaults reported in 2022. However, it marks a significant 52% rise from 2019, the year preceding the COVID-19 pandemic-induced decline in mass transit ridership. The trend of increasing subway assaults has been observed since 2014 when the NYPD reported 228 incidents, despite an overall 2.6 decrease in subway crime which includes murders and robberies compared to 2022, the rise in assaults remains a cause for concern. The decrease is attributed to investments, positive collaboration with the MTA leadership and the MTA team, according to NYPD Chief of Transit Michael Kemper. Nonetheless, Andrew Albert, an MTA board member representing transit riders, expressed concern, highlighting the safety in numbers aspect of subways, 
and the anticipation of a reduction in assaults as more riders return to the system. In related New York news, on Monday, January 29th, Charles Littlejohn, the former IRS contractor responsible for leaking tax records of former President Donald Trump to the New York Times, as well as the tax records of billionaires Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to ProPublica, was sentenced to five years in prison. Little John had pleaded guilty in October and prosecutors pushed for the maximum statutory sentence, asserting that he, quote, abused his position by unlawfully disclosing thousands of Americans' federal tax returns and other private financial information to multiple news organizations. Prosecutors accused him of using his access to unmask taxpayer data to advance personal and political agendas, believing he was exempt from legal consequences. U.S. District Judge Anna C. Reyes, presiding over the hearing at the federal courthouse in Washington, handed down the sentence and imposed a $5,000 fine on Little John. Reyes remarked, quote, you can be an outstanding person and commit bad acts, characterizing his targeting of the sitting president as an assault on constitutional democracy. She drew parallels between Little John's actions and recent threats against elected officials and the sentencing of January 6th defendants while acknowledging the deliberate and complex nature of his multi-year criminal scheme, Judge Reyes suggested that Little John, quote, sincerely felt the moral imperative to act as he did. Little John's defense argued that he committed the offense due to a deep moral belief that the American people had a right to the information, viewing it as, only, as the only way to affect change. He maintained that at the time, he genuinely, genuinely believed his actions were justified. Thanks for tuning in to the Top 3 segment live on Hako Radio and have a great day.